It's wonderful to have our reverbians, our reverb people, the high schoolers in the service with us today. So if you see somebody and they look like they're in high school age, then just give them a squeeze. This is a good time to score points with your wife. Say, you look like you're in high school age. And, uh, you know, just make her feel welcome also. It's really great to have you with us and to join us for the service. I'm going to jump right into the Word this morning. As you know, that we are busy with our Faith uh, to Flourish uh, series, and we're taking a look at the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. On our Facebook page, there is a, a video that you can watch that gives you a bit of background and information about the first book of Thessalonians, and if you haven't watched that yet, please go do so. Go to our Facebook page, watch it, and if while you're there, you can as well, might as well like it, the video also, and, um, and so that it can get some more airtime and we can spread it around. Last week, I spoke briefly about the introduction to First Thessalonians and what this book was about, and uh, the great story of the of the, the church at Thessalonica in in Greece was that it was a church that was planted by Paul, Silas, and Timothy that went there as part of their missionary journey, and uh, they spent a short time, somewhere between three weeks and at the most three months, it seems to be, that that they spent with this new city, Thessalonica. And they preached the gospel, and as the Scripture tells us in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, that, that there were people that responded and that were convinced about Jesus and gave their hearts to Jesus, and this started a new church. But soon as this new church began, um, persecution and trouble broke out, because for the Thessalonians to turn to Christ, it meant they had to turn away from their idolatry, from their culture, from their families, from just life as they knew it. So much of life, had to, they had to find a way to step out of just what they knew, and uh, so Paul was concerned. Paul and Silas had to leave Thessalonica very quickly because of the trouble that were experienced, and for fear of the people being persecuted, they, they left to allow for some calm to come in, and later Paul is now concerned. Is the church at Thessalonica still continuing, or have they, have they disbanded? Have everybody run? Has everybody given up their faith? But then he started hearing reports from people in Greece about the amazing things that were going on in Thessalonica and how the Thessalonians, these new Christians, this new community of faith, was not only standing strong, but they were actually growing and flourishing. And it's based on that that he wrote, writes the first epistle of Thessalonians to encourage these believers that are flourishing in the midst of such a struggle and difficult time, and he's talking to them about how to continue to flourish in their faith. And last week I made the point that he wrote the letter not only in the context of them as a community, but also about how they as individuals were flourishing in their faith and how they were making a difference. And one of the subtopics of the book is the idea of holiness. And how this community of Thess the Thessalonians were able to begin to live a holy life. But holiness for them meant that they did not, although they were, were not carrying on with the idol worship and the paganism of the city, and they were now different than the culture around them, and they were, they were ceasing some of those activities, they didn't withdraw from the people around them completely. Holiness for them wasn't coming away and being completely withdrawn from their culture and their city but they actually found a way to participate in the life of their city, yet in a different way that honors God and that could show God to the people around them. So they were acting as missionaries in their own city. Now today we're going to go to the second chapter of the first book of Thessalonians, and uh, I'm going to just briefly take you through uh, the, the, the first, uh, I think it's 13 verses or of, that, of that portion of 
uh, the, the second chapter. And uh, the idea of the second chapter is now Paul writes to these Thessalonians to encourage them to continue on in their missionary endeavor in their own city. He writes to them as the gathered church. I use that term. Like we are here today, we are the gathered church. But tomorrow or this afternoon or wherever you go, each of us goes, but we're still the church. Amen? When you leave the building, are you still the church? Yes, we are the church. Then we are the scattered church that goes through all out through this province during this week and some even beyond that. And we go and be the church in our different spaces. So Paul writes to these Thessalonians with that idea in mind. He's encouraging them as the gathered church, but also as the scattered church. And what he's actually doing in um, the first portion, part of the second chapter is he's, he's giving them some lessons from his life about how to be a missionary wherever you go. And he says to them, I want to speak to you about some of the things that I have encountered and that I've seen in my ministry. And if you copy these things from me, then you, it'll help you in terms of your ministry and your mission every day where you go, both as the church together, but also for each individual whenever they go throughout their week. So he's saying, I would like to share with you some of my missionary value ideas. He's saying to them, I've, I've got certain values that enables me, certain things that I hold to, characteristics that I have allowed in my life to grow. And, and over a, a period of time as I've ministered, I've seen how these, these activities or these characteristics or this value system has made me effective as a minister for the gospel. So I want to share with you these four points today that Paul puts across to help you in your endeavor as a missionary in your space, wherever you find yourself. What are these four things that Paul says? We must hold on to these things. Now, before I share the four things with you, we must remember that for us to be the messengers of Christ, it's another word to speak about. I could speak about us as missionaries, as us about that goes and makes disciples, or us as messengers. If we go and we are a messenger of the gospel, this is not just some story that we're telling people. This is something that we have experienced and that have impacted our lives. And like Paul says, we become the living letter. The gospel is written on our lives. And we become that living letter wherever we go, that we can share this message with people, whether it's in words, whether it's just through who we are as people, it's a combination of those things. But we want to be messengers that, that carry the message in integrity. And in, when, I'm, when I use the word integrity, what I mean by that is it's our message and who we are, what we do, what we say needs to line up with one another. The gospel message is of such a nature that for it to be effective, you have to live it. It has to be seen in your life. It's not a message you can share without it having impacted you first, without it having become your story. But as it becomes your story, it's something that you can share and break and give to somebody else. So Paul says, if that is the case, if you're going to live the gospel story in your community, in your workplace, in your family, in your varsity, in your school, in your street, at your gym, at the wherever you go, if you're going to be this gospel story, there's four things that you should 
hold on to and values that you should have as a believer. These four values, I'll mention to you them to you quickly, and then we're going to work through the scripture and just explain them a little bit better. The first one is boldness, then wholeheartedness, then gentleness, and then blamelessness. So let's go to the first one and go to boldness. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 to 2, Paul says the following as he encourages these young believers, this new community of faith. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. In other words, it resulted in something. Even though we left you, you carried on in the faith. It wasn't a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. You see, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they weren't the only guys traveling the countryside at that time, going from town to town with a message. It was a very common occurrence in those days that you would have philosophers, particularly in Greek, uh, in Greece, sorry, and also teachers and many different people that would travel around from city to city and town to town, and would go and spread, spread their message, their philosophy, their teaching. What they normally did was when they went to these towns, they would set up some place in, in one of the temples or one of the structures that they had, and they would then spend time teaching people their philosophy, their idea about how life should work, and that's normally how they made their living. They would uh, teach these teachings and people would pay them and give them money to be able to do this. So, so this wasn't an uncommon thing that happened in the day. Paul and Silas and Timothy at first was just one of these, uh, these guys that came to town with a new teaching and a new philosophy and an understanding and that were trying to teach this. But Paul now starts saying, but there's a couple of things you have to know about us that makes us different than these other teachers and philosophers. The first thing is we proclaimed our message with boldness. Now you may say, how did they do it differently than the others? Because surely every one of those other guys would come to town and would be very bold in declaring their message. But the, what set Paul and Silas and Timothy apart was that their message actually led to them being persecuted. And you know the story of Philippi, how they were treated. And you can read later in Paul's life, he writes about being shipwrecked and, and left for dead and you know all the terrible things that they do. They say, our message we preach with boldness, even though we get great opposition. We're not doing this to get favor with people. We're not doing this because it's popular. We're doing it because we believe it to be true. Now, boldness is, is this first value that we have to have as messengers and missionaries. We have to be able to speak our message and live our message with boldness. You cannot do it in any other way. The word boldness means confidence, fearlessness, freedom of speech. To me, if I think of my own life, when, when I started my journey in faith and as a young person gave my heart to the Lord Jesus, I didn't particularly find it very easy throughout most of my life to share the gospel message with people. I was never really good at that. I wasn't that guy that could just walk up to somebody and say, do you know Jesus? If you're going to die today, what's going to happen to you? I just, I don't know. Even wearing a t-shirt with some Christian message on it for me was hard as a Christian. And I always felt really bad about that. I always struggled with how, how can I be bold as a Christian? 
But through my life, as I, as I observed what was happening and a boldness was growing in me, I realized that my boldness was connected to my conviction. If I was convinced about the truth of something, I become quite bold about it. I'm prepared to speak out about it. I'm prepared to, to even be ridiculed if I absolutely believe in something. How convicted, how convinced are we of the gospel and its truth? Not as a theoretical understanding, not as a philosophy, but because of what we've experienced God do in our own lives first. Are you utterly convinced that you need a Jesus? Are you absolutely sure that your life would not be the same if you didn't have Jesus? Are you absolutely convinced that you were lost without Christ? Are you absolutely convinced that you have to have Jesus in your life? It comes down to that. If we live a life and we think, ah, oh, it's nice that I have Jesus, but my life would also have been okay, and you know, I would have been a good, nice person, then your conviction starts waning. I got saved when I was about nine years old. I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus. I didn't have a lot of time before that to commit really gross sins. My one great sin that I did before that that I can remember is one day I uh, broke a glass. You know one of those where my mom put a glass out and she said to me, be careful, and she left the room and then I dropped the glass and it broke. And then what I proceeded to do like any good person, I took the glass and hid it in the back of the freezer <laughs> so that I wouldn't get in trouble. And then one day she found this glass and said, who did this? My, unfortunately, my brother was like six months old, so it was very hard to pin it on him. And uh, she, you know, confronted me and I had to eventually confess that I broke the glass and, you know, I'm a sinner and forgive me and all of that. So it could be easy for a person like me who got saved at such a young age to think, oh, you know, I'm okay. I, I didn't do such bad sin. My life, you know, I, I was okay. But you know, as I've journeyed with the Lord Jesus, I've become more and more convinced about how much I need Jesus. That I am a sinner. As I live with myself and I see my tendencies, I see my weaknesses, I see my failures, I see the choices I make. And then I see how God protects me and helps me out. And sometimes, despite myself, gets me to good places. And I realize, I'm fully convinced, this is just me, I'm fully convinced that if it wasn't for Jesus, I would probably not be even married anymore to the love of my youth. I wouldn't be a good father or a reasonable father. I wouldn't be anywhere close to be the person that I am. And I've got a long way to go and a lot to learn. But I am convinced in my heart of hearts that I need Jesus. Not just to save me, but every day I need Jesus. Are you convinced that you need Jesus? Come on. Are you convinced? Is your life so dependent on Jesus? Because if that happens, and, and that's a journey for us sometimes, that, that's a growing that happens in us. But if that happens, let me tell you, there's a boldness that comes. I don't find it difficult anymore because I'm so convinced of who Jesus is. And that's our journey with Jesus. Paul says we have to be bold. We have to be bold.
Boldness requires a conviction of truth. Boldness is not arrogance. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on boldness. But boldness is not arrogance. It's not about being the center of attention or creating your own glory. But it's about that conviction. It's about Jesus. He is the center. It's about glorifying Him. It's about making Him the center of everything. And not being afraid of using my life to glorify Him. And my story to glorify Him. Boldness is the first one. The second value that he puts out is wholeheartedness. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 3 to 4, he says the following. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Again, he says, we're not like these other guys, these philosophers, these teachers. Because we are not trying to trick you. We're not trying to sell you something and tell you nice things so that you would be prepared to spend money on our seminars and our teachings and come to our retreats and come to the things that we present. We're not wanting to do that, but there's actually, it's all about just us making a living. We're not trying to trick you. This message that we give you, we give it to you with our whole heart because it's our lives that has experienced this first. This is not something outside of us. This is not a book that we've read. This is not a, a course we've been on. This is not a seminar that we did. This is our life story. And we give you ourselves. We give you everything with our whole heart. Now, what does that mean in terms of you and me in, in, in this life that we live in, in our mission? I want to ask you this question. When you are on your mission field, your mission field can be any, any place in your life. You're going to the store. At work, that's a big part of our mission field for those of us that at work, at varsity with your friends. Are you all in? Are you all in? Are you present with those people? Are you giving them the honest best of yourself and your life story? You see, we are not selling a gospel to people. We're not giving them something, and we must be very careful as Christians and as believers that we don't do that thing where we overpromise and underdeliver, where we tell people this wonderful gospel message that if you believe in the gospel, then everything's going to be wonderful and everything's going to be great. Because how many of you know that's not true? That's not even your story. How many of you can say, since I've met Jesus, everything in my life is perfect and wonderful? Everybody loves me. My children think I'm the greatest thing in the world. My, I've always got extra money in my bank account. I never have health problems. Any of you can say that? If you don't experience that, how can we give that to other people? Because it's not true. If we do that, then we are trying to trick people. How many of you have had friends at some point in their life that joined one of these things that, I don't want to use the word, the names, of these pyramid kind of scheme you know, where you buy vitamins and then you have to sell it. And if you get five people under you that sells it, you know those things that I'm talking about? You know, golden things and, you know, other things. I, I can't say the names, so I'll get in trouble. But you know those? Have you ever had friends that invited you for a meal? 
and said, oh, we just want to spend time with you. Won't you just come around and just hang out with us? And, and then, you know, you have a great time, you have a wonderful, and then it comes to that part of the evening, just went around when the coffee's made, and then they take out the presentation. <laughs> and they say, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you. If you get in now, then you will become wealthy, and all your friends will also run away from you and want nothing to do with you because they're scared you're going to try and sell them this thing. Have you ever experienced that in your life? All these people that phone you? How are you doing today, sir? No, thank you. I'm well. How are you? No, thank you for asking. I'm doing very well. My name is so-and-so. And then they try and sell you something. For us as Christians, our care for people, our interest in people is not to get a foot in the door to try and sell them something. It has to be wholehearted. It has to be from a genuine place of every person we know God loves them. And we prepare to journey the journey with them so that they can experience and see that love of God. And sometimes that means we have to go through some learning. Am I wholehearted with the people on, in my space? Are there people at your, in your workplace, for instance, that you just don't get along with? that you don't like, that just rubs you up the wrong way, that irritates you? Are you wholeheartedly invested in them? That's a big question. How do you deal with people like that? I think the best way to do with that is to pray. To pray for them every day. Because it's remarkable what happens when you pray for somebody every day. It, it doesn't really change them all that much, but what does it do? It starts changing you. It starts changing your heart towards that person. And then God can start using you. But are you wholehearted? Are you all in? Are you present with people? At work, at, at, with your family, wherever you go, do you take the time to be in the moment with that person? To just be, be aware of the person. Where this week we, I had a, we had a meal out with friends of ours and, and the waiter, this, you know, it was one of those poor waiters. They're always the soft targets for the Christians. We always you know, try and hit at the waiters. And the, you know, they, those. But this waiter was just, he was just, you know, there was something about him. And I tried to really notice him and, and he served us well for the evening. And then you know, when it sort of came later on, I said, okay, so we knew his name by now. And he said, okay, so are you studying? And he started telling us a bit of his story and that he's actually started a business and he's trying to get his business off the ground so that once his business is off the ground, then he can go and study because then his business can pay for his studies. And I thought, wow, that's a, quite a different way of, you know, trying to do this. And, and, you know, just, and we just encouraged him, just was in the moment with him for a little bit, just encouraged him, just said, man, that's great. Just go for it. You know, just in the moment. Now you have people at work that you're with every day. Are you ever in the moment with them, present with them, aware of them, letting God speak to you about them, wholehearted? That's the second value that Paul has. The third value is gentleness. Now this is an interesting one, gentleness. From verse 5 to 8, never once did we try to win your heart with flattery, as you well know, as, and God is our witness, that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a, a right to make some demands on you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. 
We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Paul says whenever he comes into a new place and he's there placed by God to bring the gospel message to people, he assumes one of the values that he holds is gentleness. He approaches those people with gentleness. On the one hand, there's a boldness in him, but on the other hand, there's a gentleness. And he actually really spends a lot of time around this idea of gentleness. And in the video clip, if you watch it, that gives you an introduction. They make this comment. They say, Paul says, the true hallmark of a leader as a missionary leader is that they approach people with gentleness. He says, I'm not trying to overpower people. I'm not trying to be better than anybody or, or make anybody feel inferior. I come with gentleness. The word gentleness refers to humility, thankfulness towards God, polite, being restrained towards others. The opposites of gentleness are anger, desire for revenge, and self-aggrandizement. You see, gentleness is when we hold out a hand of friendship to somebody, but we never force friendship on somebody. And even as Christians, it is our responsibility to have an open hand to our lives, where we live open towards people, where, where in every way we can, through hospitality, through the way we speak, through our civility. And, and at the Global Leadership Summit, uh, Bill Hybels spoke about being civil and how that's something in our society that's under threat. People just don't know how to be gentle with one another. In so many of our workplaces, gentleness is not something that you experience all that often. But can we as Christians have a gentle approach to people? where we come alongside, where we hold out a hand of friendship to people, where we recognize people's frailty, where we recognize people's just the struggles, the issues they have. A gentle person knows the fear of somebody else and doesn't come and push on that fear, but finds a way to strengthen the person instead of exploiting their fear. A gentle person is a person that comes underneath, that says, can I... Love you, show you. You see, this is the important thing you and I must remember. If we are the messengers of the gospel, if we are telling people the gospel through the way we live, then the way we deal with people is the way they think God deals with them. So if we come across harsh, unkind, irritated, don't have time for anybody, always, you know, just bombastic, then people think, well, then that's what your God looks like. And how many of you know that's not how God treats you? Slow to anger. Abounding in mercy. That's our Father. Are we, do we have a gentle disposition to our lives? Do we have that thankfulness in our heart? That humility for what God has done for us and we know we don't deserve. That we so appreciate who God is in our lives that we can be restrained when we approach others. And even particularly sometimes people that would be opposing us, speaking against us, being unkind towards us, can we be gentle towards those people? Or do we just respond in kind? Gentleness. Paul says we don't flatter people. We don't try and impress people. We don't try and, you know, get the most likes for our Facebook pages. Nowadays, it seems in ministry that if you really want to be successful, you have to have a lot of followers on some social media platform. And it's great. And I have no problem with that. But at the end of the day, it's not about trying to impress people. 
It's about trying to show God to people. And sometimes that happens in a quiet place. Sometimes that happens in the spaces where, where things are unseen. If again, if you think of a person in your space, in your life, that you really don't like, that you really don't get along with, I'm sorry to tell you today that that person, you cannot excuse yourself from being the gospel towards them. How do you show gentleness to a person like that? How do you come alongside? Are you aware of that person? And perhaps you become aware of something in their life that is a real struggle for them. And how do you in gentleness come close and support and help? The last one is blamelessness. From verse 9 to 12. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourself are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. To add to the gentleness part of it, where Paul says, you know, Paul is an official of the church of the day. He was anointed, appointed by the church. His title, apostle, wasn't a self-given title that he decided he's an apostle. It was actually given to him by the council in Jerusalem. The church gave him that title. That title meant that wherever he went, he could expect of people to support him financially. But when he goes to the Thessalonians, and because he knows that money could be an obstacle to them, because they were so used to these philosophers and teachers that would come and give all these fancy teachings, but it was all just a way to get money. He says, instead of me standing on my right to ask you to support me financially, I'm going to support myself. I'm going to work. And I'm going to look after my own needs. So that that doesn't get an, an obstacle to you. It, it gets removed. So that nothing can be a, be a reason for you to not hear and see the gospel. That's the gentleness. That's the blamelessness of the heart of Paul. He says, my greatest objective is that you may know the gospel. That you may know God loves you. That Jesus died for you. And that there's hope for you. There's forgiveness of sins. And it's the same for every one of us. Every day of your life. It is the greatest joy, it is the greatest part of our existence is that we get to be messengers of Christ. Through our actions, through our deeds, through our, our attitudes, through the words we speak, we are the messengers of Christ all over this city. And every day, it is our responsibility to say what obstacles are there that we need to remove so that people can hear the message, so that people can understand what God's heart is towards them. And one of those obstacles that we need to remove is to make sure that we are not the obstacle in the lifestyle that we live. Therefore, there's a high calling on each and every one of us. If you call yourself a Christian, if you believe you're a Christian, you must understand you put yourself in a higher expectation in terms of your blamelessness in life. We have to go the extra mile. We have to make sure that there can be no question of our integrity leveled against us. Not because we are trying to be good people, but so that nothing is an obstacle for people to hear the message. So therefore, we, we check things a little bit more carefully. 
It's hard if, you, if people at work know you're the Christian, but they also know you're the last guy to arrive at work and the first to leave. It's hard when they think you're the Christian in your team at Varsity that has to study together, but everybody knows you're not going to do any work. You're just going to come right in at the end, and when everybody else has done the work, you just copy it and whew, lekker. It's hard to proclaim that I'm a Christian, but people think, well, if that guy tells you he's going to do it, forget about it. It's not going to happen. It's hard if you say you're a Christian, but there are people that you have to dodge because you owe them money and you have no intention of paying them their money. Ooh, hello. Did we touch a nerve there? <laughs> hey? It's hard when we become the obstacle. We're saying God is a generous God. God is a loving God. God is faultless in everything He does. He's perfect and holy. And I'm sorry to say to you there's no other way to say it, but when you associate yourself with His name, you have to let the Holy Spirit work in you so that you can live up to His standards. Otherwise, otherwise we become a problem. Now, I'm not blameless. I try, but I'm not blameless. And sometimes the best thing I can do is to own up and say, I failed. When I failed, whether it's with my family, whether it's wherever I have responsibilities, wherever it's just sometimes I drive really badly and I cut somebody off and they, you know, show a variety of fingers in my direction. You know, I don't hold up the Bible and say, I'm a, you know, I'm a man of God. You cannot do that to me. I, I just hold up my hands and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My mistake. Because I'm not there but I, I trust the Holy Spirit because I do not want to be the obstacle. So these four characteristics, these four values that Paul holds up, he says we've got to be bold. We've got to be all in, wholehearted. We've got to be gentle and we've got to be blameless. Now I think he shares these four things because it's not one of them, it's all four of them. Now I want to encourage you in this. If you are a messenger, and you are, you are a messenger in your space. Take, let us learn from Paul. Paul says, I'm a model. Follow me in this. Do what I do. It's not great rocket science. It's not these amazing plans and wonderful teachings that he teaches us. He says, just work on these four things. And these four things will found, form the foundation of God being able to use you in whatever space you need to be. Wherever you go, be bold. Always be ready, Peter writes, to give a defense. Always be ready to tell people about, man, this is what Jesus does in my... Not some wonderful, perfect story, just this is what Jesus means to me today. This is what the difference is. And sometimes, you know, you have to be creative how you do that, but there's a boldness, there's a conviction in us. I need Jesus. Be bold. Be all in. Be present. Be wholehearted. Don't have tricks. Don't get clever. Just be with, just be gently present with people. And then gentleness. Don't try and overpower people. Love them. Just love people with a gentleness. But you know, we can only do that because we know the gentleness of God towards us. And then lastly, blamelessness. 
live that higher expectation on your life. And when you fail, own up to it. Don't cover it. Don't try and excuse it away. Say, I failed. It's amazing how non-Christians will call you on a Christian when you fail in your Christian behavior. Have you ever experienced that? They sometimes seem to know much better than we do how we're supposed to act. And when they do that, don't say, oh, just say, I'm sorry. You're right. I missed it. I will go and allow the Lord to work on me. In that, you become a, a messenger. Those four things. Can I ask you to stand with me? There's some of you here that boldness is easy for you, but perhaps the gentleness part you struggle with a little bit. Some of us, it's a lot easier to be gentle, but the boldness thing, or perhaps there's some of us that we know we're not that blameless. There's a whole lot of stationery at home that actually belongs to the office, you know. <laughs> we're not that blameless. Or even other things, I don't, let's not think about worse things. But it's all for these things. Can we say, Holy Spirit, work in my life. I am a messenger. And I want my faith to flourish so that this city can flourish, so that this nation can flourish. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person, everyone here, Father. Each of us, we are in our own place, in our journey of faith, in our, in our work that we experience with you. But I pray for each of us, Lord. First of all, I pray that there would be a growing awareness in us of how much we need you every day, Lord Jesus. That you would be so real to us in every day, in every struggle, in every victory. And that from that place of reality, Father, we can speak boldly about who Jesus is. Jesus is not some name, some story. Jesus is our Savior. And every day, he's doing his work of salvation in our lives. I pray for that, Father. I pray for boldness for us in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that we would be wholehearted people. That we would not be always going somewhere else. Always focused on something else. But that the person in front of us, the per people that you've given us in our lives, that those people, Lord, we would be all in. That we would be present with them. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us about gentleness. Thank you that you're so gentle with me. Help me to show that same gentleness to people. Even, even people that upset me so much, even people that represent everything I think is wrong, help me to be gentle, Father. Give us gentleness, Lord. As Christians in this city, Lord, like these Thessalonians, Give us gentleness, Lord. And then lastly, Father, make us blameless. Let people not be able to find fault with our character. They may accuse us, but over time, it'll be shown that it was a lie. Let there be a blamelessness in us. Let us be the people that goes the extra mile. Let us be people that give more, that work harder, whose word can be taken to the bank. Who, who, if we keep an oath, we, we say yes and amen and you can believe it. Let us be people that treat people with integrity, with, with honesty. 
Let, this, let the name of the church in this city be restored, Father. Not just because of our gatherings, but because of our scatteredness. That everywhere where people come against us or come to deal with us, they'll say, there's something different about these people. I pray that. Lord, where we fail, each of us, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. But let us grow and let our faith flourish, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So your homework for the week, your homework for the week is take those four things and think on them and sort of, you know, if you can, say to yourself, today I'm working on one of them and I'm going to be blameless today and try and let the Lord work in your life. If you want us to pray for you, it'll be our pleasure and our privilege to pray with you this morning. And if you want to come and talk to any of our pastors and leaders, let us have a time with you. The Lord bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Amen.